Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, now, up to to bat, Brett Boone. Transition to the program, you go to the A's in 2016. Um, And before you took over your current role, uh... What were you doing for the A's? Your special assistant? Were you doing a little of everything? Yeah, so the first year I was just traveling around. You know, I, I called it, I was Uncle Ed to the players, right? I'd just go in there, just former player, go in there, sit in the dugout, BS with the guys, talk about, you know, different things, thought processes or whatever. So I was a coach, but I traveled, you know, throughout all the affiliates. Um, and then at the end of that year, they're like, okay, you know, what do you want to do? You want to manage? Do you want to be a hitting coach? And what I had found in my travels is before, you know, we had at the time they were using analytics only for player acquisition, right? And they were an evaluation, but they weren't really showing the players the analytics and they weren't being honest to what they were being valued on, right? So at that time in 2016, you know, it didn't seem that far ago, but players were still thinking, you know, batting average, home runs, and RBIs, right? That's what they were looking at. And clubs were looking at different things, you know. WRC plus weighted average, all these kind of different on base percentage. And so even then, some of the early framing numbers that were coming in, I thought were a little off. So I said, I wanted to be, I wanted to be the liaison between the analytic department and player development. And I think everybody has that now, but at the time, nobody really had that. And Billy was like, okay. So I had to make up a title and I spent that winter going over to uh, Oakland you know, a couple of times a month and sitting with the analytic team and learning their side, they're hearing my side um, and just kind of delving into that and, and trying to explain both sides of it. And then I took that uh, to the players and I took it to the coaches, trying to educate the coaches at the time was challenging as well, because, you know, they're old school guys. They didn't want to hear about analytics and how it's going to help that stuff. But, um, you know, then we then that kind of shifted and how can we use these analytics to better develop the players because everybody has all the same analytics now right for acquisition so it's like how can we do that so I transitioned that I became like a coordinator of instruction um, and I did that for a couple of years and then I became assistant farm director and then in 2000 uh, winter of 2019 Keith Lippman the longtime farm director been there you know 30 something years uh, 50 in the organization uh, stepped aside and they they gave it to me it it is for somebody that hasn't gone to those 
the depths that you have as far as the analytical and being from the old school where I think you hit it on the head. When we were playing, it was about three things. You're right. It was about what you hit, how many homers you hit, how many did you drive in? And that was the big number is how much did you drive in? That's what we got paid for. Back then, your best hitter hit third, your best hitter hit fourth. Now the best hitter hit second. Right. So, you know, just logic would say you're not going to drive in as many runs as if you were in a three or the four hole. You get up more often. <clears throat> that That is – it's still <clears> – <throat> you know, I'm in between. I, I see a lot of the analytics, and I think they're great. Um, I, I wonder if too much information in the wrong hands can be a detriment. That's what I always think because everybody isn't – I think what the <clears throat> analytics don't take into consideration is the man, the heartbeat. And certain guys can handle whatever you throw at them. But certain guys, especially in nowadays, <clears throat> excuse me, I'll go down and I'll go down with the minor league guys and watch them get ready for, for their upcoming season. And, you know, they got that rap or whatever they call it on it. It's exit velo. And man, when a guy's not having a good day and his exit velo is usually 97 or 98, and today it's like 94. I mean, he goes home with his tail between his legs, like, <laughs> like he just lost the World Series. And I'm going, Wow. Turn that stupid rap so off. I can hear it. You know when you smoke a ball in the gap. You know when your swing's on time. You know what you're when you're when you're working on things in the offseason if you're doing good and to put all that emphasis in the wrong hands. I'm not saying, you know, a pro's pro. Right. He won't even pay attention to what his exit velocity is when he's working on things. It'll be there when he needs it. He knows that. But I worry about the young player to get too wrapped up in these numbers. And if they're not hitting their numbers, it becomes mental. Like it just wasn't right. My numbers and BP weren't, weren't what they're supposed to be. So how am I going to play in the game tonight? Does that make sense to you? Do you, yeah, no, do you're you run, right. do you run into that? Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, I think like I said, that original role is having that liaison, someone who had played, who could understand the numbers and then argue against them. Right. So I, my whole point has been like, don't ignore them. You need to understand them. And then you can create an argument, whether they're good or bad or indifferent. Right. I mean, I still have the argument. You talk about RBIs. I still have the argument with with our analysts. They're like, oh, RBIs doesn't matter. It's because it's that's just a, a where you hit in the order. I was like, no, the guys not. that hit in the middle of the order are pitched differently than the guys hit below. So, right. The, the knack of driving in runs with runners in scoring position is a knack and guys are good at it. You just don't say, oh, this guy had 100 RBIs this year because, you know, Mike Trout was on in, on base in front of him every time. Now, there, there is some logic that, yeah. You, you're not going to drive in more if you don't have people on, but you can't tell me that the clutch player or the guy that can stay in the box and, and face four sliders in a row with bases loaded, you know, after 100 in his head, you know, they're not going to give in to that guy. They're just not. And so that's why you see in the postseason, that's why you see the, all these unsung heroes is because they got to pitch to somebody. And usually they're not going to pitch to the guys in the middle of the order. And if they are, they're getting the entire kitchen sink. And so for them to drive in a run, you know, they're going to earn it. You know, they're going to be able to take that hard two-seamer in and shoot it over the, you know, the first baseman's head right. because that's how their knack is, right? I mean, I played with Joe Carter. He drove in 100 every year. He drove in 100 whether he hit 220 or he hit 280. He just had a knack when guys got on. You know, I think that, uh, you know, Cecil Fielder was like that a little bit. There's some yeah, guy, you Juan know, Gonzalez. Juan Gonzalez. There were some, yeah, some players that just – they changed their approach to driving runs because you said it was important. Yeah. And now they don't value it as much. So guess what? Guys just tell, you stand up there and swing out of their ass. And they're like, oh, he popped it up. And we're on third. No biggie. Oh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> how about the postseason, the World Series? I mean, it was driving me crazy. And, and I would, as a player, and, and I'm sure you went through it and in our time, 
you can deal with an 0 for 4. 0 for fours are going to happen. But, man, you leave that runner on third with less than two once in a game, let alone if you had a real rough night and you did it twice. Those are times where I couldn't sleep at night. I watched this postseason all the way through pretty much every single game. The amount of runners left on third with less than two outs was mind-boggling. It was like we're not even trying to get him in. And, and eventually I just went, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't sleep at night if I had. At one point I'm counting and it was like the last nine times there was a runner on third less than two. One time they got him in. No wonder they don't bunt. No wonder they don't move him over like we used to move the runners over. You don't get him in anyway. <laughs> and, and, and and I sit there and I watch the and Eddie, I watch the approach. That's a point with the runner on third. That is a point for your team. So you've got to take into consider. And I remember I used to do this. Who am I facing? How tough is he on me? Maybe I got a heavy sinker ball guy that I'm just not going to hit a double. I'm not going to hit a homer in this position. I've got that runner on third. Maybe it's infield back and my best chance is to hit a 15 hopper to the shortstop. Yeah, I'm 0 for 1, but it's a ribby and it's a point for my team. And I would take at bats like that. Obviously, the ultimate is to get up there and get a base hit with a runner on third. The right. second best thing is to hit that sack fly because now you're 0 for 0, but you got the ribby. And then third is hit the ball to short at 18 hopper and you're 0 for 1 with an RBI. The worst for the hitter, but it still gets the job done, is hitting into that double play of the run scores because you don't get the ribby. You're 0 for but your team gets a it gets right. a run on the on the scoreboard. But I just I don't know, is it me or or am I not seeing that that it's not I don't know, it's like that. But I I still well, think I, I think it comes down to no, you're 100 right. I think it comes down to the value, right? And they, I think there's the industry has placed less value on that. Now, you look at the postseason, obviously it's all about winning. So right, if it's two to one, there's a lot of value in that run over there. <laughs> right. They always say, well, the run scoring environment it is as good as you move a guy over because it's only at least one run. I said, sometimes you only need one. You know, <laughs> sometimes you got to win games two to one. But to your point is like you had you had a great two strike approach, right? You gave in. You were I mean, you let it eat until you got two strikes and then you spread out and you choked up and you were in there battling to get that run in. And these guys, they don't practice that. I, I tell our young players all the time, I said, I said, you can't hit driver every time. I said, sometimes, right. you, step, sometimes you step up to a hole and you got out of bounds on the right and water. You got to hit a hybrid. <laughs> so how about just choke down a little five iron, chip it down the middle? You know, yeah. and sometimes you got to use all the clubs in your bag. And these, today, these kids, they just want to hit driver every. So they're just, they're just leaning on it. And they, so they punch out. But if you look at the postseason, the teams who got there, I mean, I know they wasn't, they weren't great at it, but the teams who got there, they did give in. They, they shot some balls to right. They choked up a little bit. They, you know, they weren't, they were better at it than everybody else doing it. I guess that's why they got right. to the World Series. Right. You know what I mean? I think the Diamondbacks did a nice job. That's kind of was their game all year. So they were pretty good at it. And I think Texas, you know, they shift them a little bit up the middle and boom, a guy would hit one in the four hole. So I think that's why they got there. But there is, there's not enough uh, adjustments in the box today to just put it in play and get that run in because. Not that I don't think they have the ability to. They, they do have the ability. I just don't think the industry is valued enough to give in because they want to get paid. They want to get paid. You start you start rewarding guys to beat the shift, they'll beat the shift. I think I, <clears throat> that's good. I'm going to use that. I think it's great. Everybody wants to hit driver. And sometimes it's it's not a driver hole. Exactly. It's that, it's that tight, 
neck. And if you hit it too far, you're in the hazard. You got to carve it just right. Hit the five iron, hit the five iron down the middle and, and live to play another day. Exactly. And, and, and I think that's a great scenario for it. Uh, you mentioned Keith Lippman. Uh, I worked briefly for the Oakland A's in, in 14 and 15 and, and Keith was there. What, what a great man. Yeah, the the gentleman that you took over for as the farm director, uh, I think recently he was he was put into the Oakland A's Hall of Fame and and uh, pretty awesome, pretty awesome. But all right, you take the helm, and and I'm going to give you three different scenarios. You're kind of like you're big Sprague now. You're the boss of the minor leagues because that's what I looked at Lip when I was there. I'm like, that's the boss of the minor leagues, and he would laugh and say, No, Booney, I'm just here. And you know, during our meetings, those meetings you have in the morning on instruction ball. So you take over. <coughs> First of all, when's your biggest time of the year? When's your busiest time? Uh, spring training, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, seven weeks there because we start with big league camp and work ourselves all the way through. Um, I would say that's that's the biggest time in terms of communication and meetings and, and conversations that are being had. So, you know, I was fortunate, like I said, Lip was awesome. He's a great mentor. I still call him to this day when we talk about things. I got Grady Fuson on my right-hand side as well as a special assistant. He's been doing it forever. So, I mean, I've got pretty good training wheels on this thing for the first couple of years I did it. Um, you know, and just it's just having those relationships and moving back and forth between the big leagues and talking to Kotze and the manager and the bench coach in terms of sending players up and down spring training, making sure that their rosters are full. That's probably the biggest thing. And like I said, I, you know, you brought it, you were around Oakland and we've had a lot of people in that in that uh, building for a lot of years. So the transition was a lot easier, not having to train a bunch of new coaches on on how things go because they've been doing it for so long. Passion, drive and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, take me through the day of Ed Sprague in instructional ball. Just give me your typical day. Yeah, typical days, you know, you basically wake up. We usually, I mean, a lot of people work out. I mean, sometimes I work out, sometimes I don't. But I uh, usually get get up about 536, uh, get to the ballpark. We usually have a staff meeting um, right around 745 or 8. You know, uh, instructionally it's changed a little bit since you were there. Less teams are doing it. So the last two years we've done mostly inter-squads. So it's a little bit different, but we usually have a – so I have the staff meeting. We'll go over all the medical. Uh, we'll go over all the strength conditioning stuff that needs to happen for that day. Um, I have a field coordinator, Steve Scarsoni, that that uh, will go over the, the daily schedule there. Uh, and then we have, we'll have we follow it up by early work. So we some guys get out in early work. Uh, we get that done. And then there's a big pause because, you know, you have to get the active warm-up in and the stretch, and that takes an hour now. <laughs> so you got to activate the glutes or you can't do anything. 
Um, we got to activate them so you get hurt more than people used to. <laughs> yeah. So then we have that downtime, which sometimes we'll do some staff training. Sometimes we'll have some question and answer period with, with Grady. Sometimes we'll have a guest speaker come in. Uh, so there's just a lot of different things that, that can happen in that hour. But, you know, it's just you just got to wait and let medical do their thing and strength and conditioning. So and then we're on the field. Um, it's called 10 o'clock full workout, uh, you know, ground balls field. And we don't do we don't do hardly any. Oh, we don't do anything at all. We don't do any team defenses and stuff other than infield, outfield, and instructionally. We do more individual skill-based stuff. Then come in for lunch uh, and then go back out for a game at about 1230. Um, and so depending on how much innings we have that day, you know, it could be a five-inning game, could be a nine-inning game. You know, pitchers got to throw their one in 15 and then they're done for a week. They're not allowed to throw more than that. So – um, it's, it's a lot of negotiation between medical strength, pitching coordinator, trying to get it all together. And sometimes you got to fight your battles and sometimes you just, uh, got to give in, you know, so spring training, similar spring training, similar. Yeah. Uh, except for the, you know, you're traveling there in spring training, uh, to the other team. So you got people getting on buses. You're either, you're trying to find out if, um, what team you what pitching you want to go watch whether you want to go watch the triple a double they might be on the road right. or you, you're just going to stay home and watch the a ball clubs especially late in spring when you're trying to make decisions on where to put guys um you know you'll sit up in the tower and be like all right if this guy gets a hit he's going double a no it's, but you know it's usually just trying to make those evaluations and sometimes unfortunately you know who's going to get released so medical comes in play there a lot and um you know so then towards the end of spring training. And then like, if we're on the road, then I'd go over to the big league game as well. So when you have that, when you have that gap talking to the front office, you know, seeing who they want in certain positions. So I'm constantly moving the big board around as the spring training goes on to try to get it all dialed in as easy as we can for the end of spring training. And then unfortunately at the end of spring training, you're usually releasing some guys. So. I watched, <clears throat> I watched Keith in my brief time with him and how he interacted, it seemed like Keith would try to be as many places as he could be for the regular season on a typical day. Where are you? How do you decide uh, where you go, what your next trip is? Yeah. Uh, obviously there's certain guys that, Hey, I've got to see this guy. I haven't seen him in a while, or I got to put my eyes on this new guy we just traded for or whatever. Give me a typical day. And, and being in your position, how tough is it for you to keep tabs on the entire minor leagues? I mean, is it a lot of relying on your staff or or how do you go about that? Well, I mean, nowadays, I mean, every game is on television. So, right. so, so I mean, I get, if I'm not on the road, I'm watching every game. So I watch, I got four screens at home plus the big league game on. So I'm trying to watch those games. Um, how do I decide where I'm going? To, like you said, it, if it could be a guy that, you know, we just traded for, we don't really know much about him. You know, so I might, I might go in there for a week into, let's say, Midland, if he, this guy's there, and see him throw and just throw aside because we, we don't have a lot of information on him personally because you want to get to know those guys a little bit. Um, but I try to hit every place three times uh, at least, and so I kind of will look at different parts of the schedule. I usually come home, and I don't go anywhere for a couple of weeks after spring training. Uh, I'm fortunate that our, you know, our, our low-A team is in Stockton, so I can get down there to watch some games. Um you know, I get over to Oakland. I go to the Dominican Republic uh, a couple times a year as well. So I just bounce around. As far as keeping tabs, like I said, I, I talk to the managers almost every day. I talk to the pitching coordinator uh, every day. 
uh, maybe multiple times a day. Um, so every day is busy. It, it kind of gets busier at different times of the day because the, of the time changes where guys are at. Uh, but like I said, usually the first call in the morning is, is to our pitching coordinator. And then we'll talk, I'll talk to the managers at some point uh, before they get to the yard or right when they get to the ballpark. Um, and then we, you know, we, we have game reports online. So I'm reading, those are the first things I do every morning is read all the game reports from all the levels. Um, and then if there's something pops in the game report, I'll, you know, I usually call on that. So, and then eventually someone got ejected and I'll get a call from MLB or, you know, God forbid they, the bench is clear because they, they find us now organizationally every time anybody steps foot on the field and it doubles every time. So you, you can rack up some, some fines there pretty quick organization wise. Do you have uh this is the side of it. Do you get calls from agents talking about their kid and, hey, Sprague, what's going on with my shortstop? He's, why isn't he playing? Why is he playing first base? All the time. Yeah, I would say that's the – yeah, I, I probably field calls from agents once a day, depending. Um, there's certain agents that call me multiple times a week, you know. How come he got benched? Well, he was late, <laughs> for, he was late for a meeting. And, well, and then they'll call the next day. He's like, he's not playing again. The manager hates him. I'm like, no, he doesn't. We're trying to prep your kid for the big leagues. Like, you don't screw around and be late and be a prima donna because as soon as I send him up there and if he does the same thing, what, what's going to happen? Kotze's going to call me and be like, what the hell are you guys doing down there? Right. You know? So, yeah. I mean, most of the agents are good. I mean, you know, they call, they wonder. Um, you know, we had Jonah Heim uh, a few years ago when, before he was an all-star, right? He was in double A and, and they were – kind of split in time with one of this other catcher and his agent called me. He's like, what's the deal? I said, look, you're, we love your guy. He's going to play, but they just, we're coming out of spring training. We need to have the other guy get some at bats too. He just can't have your guy play every day for a month and not let the backup catcher play. You know, I said, eventually, you know, your guy will get, Jonah will get all the playing time. And he did. And he obviously was a good player. And uh, you know, the guy he was split in time with at the time now is your brother's uh, bullpen catcher. So in New York. And Heim's got a ring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you, uh, you know, I was on the shuttle as a player, 1993. Lou sent me up and down. It seemed like 10 times, but I think it was three times. Obviously, you're you're a part of that. How much, take me through a day where you're going to, you got four different transactions. You got some guy going double A to triple A, some guy going triple A to the big leagues. What's that look like for you? Do you how much say do you have? Do you ever say he ain't ready for the big leagues right now, or hey, he's ready? I'm telling these guys. Yeah, so I mean, do I have a say? Yes and no, not really. I mean, usually from the AAA to the big leagues, that is usually decided by our GM, you know, and it's usually need based, and and most of the time, it's all about pitching, right? We this guy went too many innings, send him down, send him up. Uh, the position player wise, you know, we've had a number of six year free. So last year we started to get some of these, these rookies up, uh, move through the system. So did I have a say, I have to say like, sometimes, you know, they'll say, Hey, let's move this guy to double A. I'll be like, ah, I don't think he's ready. You know, or, or like, or I'll be the one call and say, Hey, I think it's time to get this guy to double A. I mean, he's, he, I was just come out of, I just was in Lansing. I really like what I see. And they'll be like, okay. So it kind of goes back and forth. So, and once you're moving one guy, there's usually a move somewhere else. Um, and we don't, you know, we don't try to send guys back down once we get them up. You know, I don't want to do that train between double A and A ball. Um, I mean, it happens, you know, somebody will happen with pitching. You, you'll need a guy or sometimes you just bring a guy up for Arizona for 
you know, three games because the, the catcher's got a bruised thumb and he might be able to play and maybe not. He's not a DL guy. So managing the rosters is, is difficult because the size is, uh, even though they've gotten bigger, um, you know, guys are playing less. They have the six-game series helps because you have every Monday off. So a lot of our transactions will happen Sunday night after a game or Monday. It makes it a little bit easier. You mentioned the general manager. David Forst is the general manager. How often are you interacting with him? Uh, David's a text guy more than a phone call guy. So I would say we during the season, there's at least once a day, maybe every other day. Um, I'm usually on a feed with me and the other GM, Dan Feinstein. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, we usually very rarely go two or three days without something, you know, phone call. Like I said, David's not a big phone call guy. I mean, we do talk on the phone occasionally, but he'd, he'd rather hit you with a text. Uh, he's obviously busy as well. So, uh, you know, I'll be shoot them a question or they'll shoot me a question like, Hey, what happened in the, why did such and such come out? It happens during the day too. Like, you know, there'll be a, an injury on the field or somebody comes out of the game and I get a, I get a text. Hey, why did, why did Nick Allen come out of the game? And I'll be like, I don't know. So I'll, you know, I'll usually call the trainer who have it. The trainer always has a, has a phone on him. Right. And, you know, it's either like, Oh, he pulled up with a quad or banner discretion or, you know, didn't run down the line, took him out of the game. And like, all right. So I, could, I text back, like he didn't run hard and manager yanked him. Okay. And David's good about it. You know, I just, he just wants to be in the know. So he doesn't want to make sure that, Oh, did the guy, you know, get hit in the head or did he pull a hammy or is he just, was he a dog that day? So, and you know, we've had all of them. 2400 sports is an odyssey company. 